Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. Hope that you have had a great weekend and are ready for a great uh, holiday week coming up. And uh, just great that we can be here together to worship God and to spend some time uh, in the worship of our God. Thank you for everyone being here. Hope that you were able to be in our Bible classes this morning. Our Bible class uh, that I was a part of this morning was fantastic. Hope that you're taking advantage of those opportunities. And if not, I encourage you to make sure that you're doing that. Uh, this Sunday, as uh, was mentioned, Bobby mentioned, we're having a, a meal for any of our, our visitors, whether you've been, this is your first time visiting or you've been visiting for years, uh, you come on to the meal. We'd love for you to be there. If you place membership anytime recently, we'd certainly love for you to, uh, to be here and uh, get to know you better and uh, talk to you and, and see how we can help you on your journey. We want to make sure, uh, as we've uh, th- been thinking about over the last uh, several weeks and really th- this whole year, really, about being and making disciples and reaching out to the people around us. And because of that, to this meal, we sent out some postcards uh, inviting people all the way back from Vacation Bible School this summer, people that were with us for Trunk or Treat at the end of October, people that we uh, reached out to and helped out yesterday with Project Thanks. And thank you so much for all of you who helped with that, uh, delivering and bringing the food and all the things that you did. Hopefully that'll be a great blessing to those people. So uh, and kind of continuing along that same vein, I want to let you know about a, a quick and easy way that you can ask people to come uh, and worship with us and, and evangelize to people around you. There are some cards uh, on the, the uh, tables out in the foyer and also this table back here. Uh, and it kind of looks like a holiday card. And it reads like this. Are you looking for a place to worship this holiday season? And then it says in bold red letters, uh, praise God for his goodness. Uh, we'd love to worship God with you. Join us at Jefferson Avenue Sundays at 10. Uh, and it's got a place where you can actually put an address and a stamp and you can mail these to your neighbors. I would love, I'm going to try and do this myself, okay? I don't know my neighbors very well. I need to know my neighbors better. Uh, so I'm going to take these cards and I'm going to put their uh, address on it at least if I can somehow... Uh, find out their names because I don't know all their names to be honest with you Uh, I'll put their names on it too uh, and I'm going to send these cards out and I'm hoping uh, that people will take advantage of that Uh, here's the deal Uh, as was mentioned earlier uh, Sunday this year the 25th of December Christmas day it's on a Sunday this year there are going to be some people who are looking for a place to worship on that day Uh, so why not invite them to come worship with us Uh, January the 1st some people are going to be looking for a place to worship that day that maybe not normally come to church Why not invite them to come and worship with us? I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Maybe it's coworkers, maybe it's friends, maybe it's folks at school, but certainly your next door neighbors, you know their address. It's pretty simple. Look on their mailbox. Uh, You can send them a postcard or better yet, just go take it to them and say, hey, we'd love for you to worship with us on Christmas Day. We'd love for you to worship with us on New Year's Day. We'd love for you to worship with us tomorrow. Uh, whenever it might be. Uh, make sure that you invite people to come and be a part of that. Uh, again, as Bobby mentioned, we're to continue our series on sanctification. We took a week off last week for uh, Mission Sunday, and what a great week that was. Uh, and, and thank you so much for your, your generosity and how much you uh, showed that missions and reaching out to the lost is important. That's a great blessing. It's a blessing to be a part of such generous people. Uh, but we're talking about sanctification. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, uh, Paul, talking to the Christians in Corinth, lists a, a laundry list of, of sins that, that people deal with, that they dealt with in their congregation, uh, and that we deal with in our congregation because people around the world, all over the place, people, humans, struggle with these things. And some of them are, are things that we would think, oh, that's not that big of a deal, and some of them are things that we would think, man, that's, that's some pretty serious problems you guys have there at the church at Corinth. And he says there towards the end, I believe in verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. 
This idea of sanctification is what we've been focusing on. This idea of, of washing, uh, it comes about with baptism. We're washing the blood of the lamb and our sins are washed away. We're justified. God has made us right. We can't make ourselves right, but God has made us right because of Jesus' sacrifice. And then we're sanctified. And that means two things. It means for Christians, and I have a feeling that not everybody here this morning is a Christian yet. So what I'm going to say is this can be you, but if you're not a Christian, this isn't you yet. Okay? If you're not a Christian, this isn't you yet, but this is something that God wants you to be. If you're a Christian, you're sanctified. That means God has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's called you out of sin into his holiness. He's called you out of the world into his family, into Jesus' body. He wants you, listen, he wants something better for you. Something better than what the world offers. Something better than what your job offers. Something better even than what the good things in your life can offer. God wants something better for you. He's called you out of anything that's not of him. Anything that is ungodly. He's called you out of that. He has separated you from that. He has saved you from that. You are saved as a Christian. But you're also sanctified in that he is asking you, he's commanding you, he's begging you, he's pleading with you, and he's expecting of us Christians that we will live our lives in every aspect sanctified and wholly devoted to him. Today we're going to talk about love. And love is a topic that the Bible, we can't cover everything the Bible talks about with love. It's one of the most talked about topics in all of Scripture. And certainly in the New Testament, it's over and over again. And there's so many different avenues that we could talk about when we come and talk about how can I sanctify myself in love. And really, I, I know love is an, sometimes it's a softball topic. You know, the idea of we want to love and we need to love everybody. And I'm going to tell you today, you need to love everybody. Okay, the scriptures teach that. We're going to look at that and see that it says that. You need to love everybody. But in some ways, that's, that's too broad and not specific enough. In some ways, it can be specific and not broad enough. But I want to answer two questions when we think about love today. How can, I, how can I sanctify, how can I set apart my love for God's glory? And we're going to answer two questions. How does God love and what does God expect of me? And then we hope to draw some conclusions and the lesson will be yours. So how does God love? Turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles, uh, if you don't have your Bibles, uh, there's a black book in the pew in front of you. Uh, that's our church pew uh, Bible. And you can turn in that to page 942. That's where Romans 5 begins on page 942. How does God love? Now, Romans is has quickly become, over the last couple of years, my favorite book in all of the Bible. It is a powerhouse of God's scripture and how he loves us. It is just, it's amazing. If you haven't taken the time to study the book of Romans, I would really encourage you to do that. It's not always the easiest to understand and the most straightforward, but if you can grasp it and understand it, it will change your life. It's changed my life in the last couple of years. Romans chapter 5 is a powerful passage, but I want to point out two Verses that might be familiar to many of us, but may not be familiar to all of us. And even if they are familiar, they're so familiar that we, we overlook them. We take them for granted. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone in this room has sin in their life. That means everybody outside of this room has sin in their life. First John tells us that if we say we have no sin, we're liars, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So even today as Christians... We struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. If you're honest with yourself, you struggle with sin. 
All right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, again, familiar passage, but let's don't take it for granted. The wages of sin is death. What we deserve in our relationship with God because of our sin, because of our moral failures, because of our uh, lack of ability to do what God wants us to do and what is right and our choice to do what is wrong, because of that we deserve death. And that's a physical death, but more importantly, that's a spiritual death. It's a separation from God. That's what we deserve. But that verse doesn't stop there, thankfully. It goes on to say, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want you to understand, Romans 5 is great by itself, but if you'll appreciate the seriousness of sin, Romans 5 is transformational. Listen to the words that Paul, the apostle of Jesus, writes to these Romans and tells them and therefore tells us today through the Spirit. Therefore, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we always want to think about what the therefore is therefore. He says, because you've been justified by faith, what, what does that lead to? We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, when we have sin in our lives, we're going to read on later, we become enemies of God. And if we're enemies of God, who's more powerful, me or God? Well, hopefully you're humble enough to re- recognize that God is way more powerful than you are and you have no hope against him, Okay. We have peace with God through Jesus. We were enemies, now we have peace with God through Jesus. And that word faith there, again, it simply just means trust what God did through Jesus. Do you have faith in Jesus? Do you have faith in God? Do you trust in what God did through Jesus? Verse number two, talking about Jesus, says, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that our affliction brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. All right, so there's, there's a lot there that we don't have time to, to go into. But this faith that we have in Jesus, this trusting in what Jesus has done, it, in, it gives us an introduction into this grace in which we stand. And that, that, that's a picture there in my mind that I think about I can stand firm I can stand firmly on the grace of God. Because here's the deal in my life. It's absolutely true in my life. I know from experience. I know intellectually it's true in your life. I know scripturally it's true in your life. If I stand on my own ability to be a good person, I'm on shaky ground. If I stand on what you think about me, I'm on shaky ground. If I stand on my accomplishments, I'm on shaky ground. But if I stand in the grace of God, I have a firm foundation. The grace of God allows me to stand. And my faith is what gives me the introduction to that grace. I trust God that he has done exactly what he has said that he would do through his promises. We'll talk more about those later. And it goes on to say that we boast in this hope of glory. And not only this, but we boast in our afflictions and that these afflictions lead us to growth. This, this Christian life, if you're not a Christian, you may not know this. If you are a Christian and you're really trying to legitimately follow Jesus, then you know this is true. This Christian life is not always easy. It's not the easiest life for sure. It would be much easier to just do what everybody else does, do what everybody else says is acceptable, and just live how the world does. It would be easier to do that. Not that that doesn't come with difficulties and trials and sadness and death, ultimately, spiritually. But the easiest thing is just to do what everybody else does. But the better thing is 
to do what God wants us to do. And that's not always easy. And it says that we have hope in verse 5. And this hope will not be put to shame or it will not disappoint, your version might say, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. And here's, here's really verses 6 through 11. Here's, I think, the really powerful part. The other stuff's already been powerful, but here's the really powerful part. When we think about how does God love, I'm sanctifying the love that I have in my life. I'm sanctifying it. My love is for God. Not meaning, not meaning that I only love God, though I love God more than anything else, but meaning that when I love, I'm doing it for God's glory. When I love, I'm doing it for God's glory. Look at verse 6. How does God love? For while we, mankind... We're still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified, made right, God declaring us right by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Jesus. For while we were enemies, we've been reconciled, we were separated from God, but now we're reconciled, we're brought back together. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's notice, I think it's four words here. How does God love? He loves the weak, the ungodly, sinners, enemies. How does God love? He sacrificially loves the weak, ungodly sinners that make up his enemies. He sacrificially, he gives of himself. He, he, not to his benefit, but taking away something from himself. He sacrificially loves the weak, ungodly sinners that make up his enemies. And guess who that is? That's you. That's me. It's not just those people outside. It's us. It's everyone. God loves us in that way. And I love verse 11. Notice what it says again. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. You know what that means? Uh, It's very, it's very, you know, biblical language and I don't know what Paul would have talked like in person. He, he says, he claims that he wasn't an eloquent man, but then he also preaches on Mars Hill and convinces some scholars there. So he, he is a pretty fairly eloquent man, probably able to, to speak and, and not afraid to talk in front of anybody. But, but he says, I, I, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever watched the Olympics and maybe watched a, a, a gymnast or maybe watched a, a figure skater and they just pull some amazing move and you say, did you see that? Did you see that? Or maybe a wide receiver makes an amazing one-handed grab, falling back, you know, and, and you know, drags both feet as he falls out of bounds. You say, what, a, what an amazing catch. Did you see that? Paul here says, did you see what God did? Look at God. Look at what God did. Look at what God was able to do. While we were weak, helpless, sinners, enemies of God, he died for us. And when he did that, he saved us here. He made salvation possible. Look at what God did. We should be amazed. At what God did. That's why it's amazing grace. Because it's amazing that he did that for us. When no one else could. When I had absolutely no hope. When I could do nothing. When you could do nothing. God did it all. 
And he says we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, how does God love? He sacrificially loves the weak, ungodly sinners that make up his enemies. Jesus said it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So if God loves us in that way, with my love, with the love that I display towards God, with the love that I display towards others, what does God expect of me? Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, let's read verses 2 through 4. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. If you don't have your Bibles and you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 1018. 1018, 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. He says, grace and peace be multiplied in the full knowledge of God and our and." and of Jesus our Lord. Again, grace and peace. These are things that Romans 5 has talked about. We stand in grace. We have peace with God through Jesus. That's Romans 5.1. So grace and peace be multiplied, be abundant to you, be, be more than you can ask or imagine, be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his, God's divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has given to us through his amazing power everything we need for this life and for the life to come for this life and for the life that he wants us to live here now that's godliness and how do we get that through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence again he says we boast in the glory of god romans chapter 5 and verse 3 so these verses are connected and then notice what it says in verse 4 and here's where we're really hammering in a little bit for by these okay so through his glory through his excellence, through the godliness, through the things he's given to us pertaining to life. For by these, God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. God has granted to you his precious and magnificent promises. Well, what promises does that mean? Does that mean promises that life's going to be perfect? No. Remember the last time something difficult happened in your life. Well, you're a Christian. That shouldn't have happened, right? That's not a promise of God. God has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, to be with us in the midst of trial. But if anyone has ever told you that following Jesus will get rid of all of your problems, then they were either mistaken or were lying. We have difficulties, even as Christians. What are these promises? Again, the promises that he'll be with us, he won't leave us, he won't forsake us, that he loves us, that he cares about us, that there's a a reward, there's maybe more important than a reward, there's a, a home, a place where we belong with God at the end of this life. And we get to be with him. There's promises of the family of God that we get to be together here and love one another and care about one another. So by these, he has granted to us uh, his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Okay, notice that second part of verse four. So that by them, by these precious and magnificent promises, by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Okay, sanctification. It's where I am. I, as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I love you. That's what we're talking about. But you can't say this about yourself. As a Christian, I am saved from my sin. I'm saved from the lust of the world that that verse just told us about. And as a Christian, I'm also being sanctified. God is sanctifying me. And he says that you can become partakers of the divine nature. 
the divine nature. What does that mean? Well, God created us, and he created us differently than he created anyone else. He made us in his image. And certainly, we could, we could identify a divine nature in the idea that God is spirit and I am spirit. You know, we have, we have pets at home that we love and that we care about. There are animals that we go and visit at the, the zoo, and they look nice and friendly. There's beautiful plants. There's beautiful scenery in this, this earth that God has created to us. But the difference between mankind and anything else in creation is we have a spiritual element. We are a soul with a body. This, this soul that you have in yourself that, that really that you are. You are this soul and you have this body. So we can think about that as a divine nature, but I don't think that's what Peter's talking about here. What Peter is talking about that you can become partakers of the divine nature is that you can be sanctified. You can become like God. Not meaning maybe the way that Adam and Eve wanted to become like God, where they would have that knowledge and, and maybe gain power, or at least that's certainly what, what Satan wanted in that instance in the Garden of Eden. Not, we're not want, we don't want to become like God in gaining that power. We want to become like God that we want to live like God. We want to love like God. We want to serve like God. We want to be like God. When we think about this idea of how do we love, we can, we can love like God loves. We can become like God. We can love like God. What does that mean? When I think about sanctifying my love, that means that I sacrificially love the weak, ungodly sinners that might be my enemies. The weak, ungodly sinners that might be my enemies. Let's draw some conclusions as we begin to close. Here's an inconvenient truth, and it's true for you. And it's true for me. I don't get to decide who I love. That's an inconvenient truth. I don't get to decide who I love. For God so loved the world. And he's not talking about the earth. He's talking about the people. All of us. Our Lord has shown us and told us that he expects us to love everyone. Jesus says, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, you shall love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, talking about uh, both the destruction of Jerusalem and later on the, the judgment scene at the end of time, he says the importance of loving the least of these, people that don't seem to be important in our world. We have to love them. We've got to love everyone despite their race, their gender, how much money they have, or any other difference that you may have with them. We've got to love everyone. Now listen, I, I realize, I, I know, because I've been there, again, I've experienced it like you have experienced it. I know the difficulty of loving everyone. 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 And it would be very easy to say, well, you don't know what they did, or you don't know who they are, or don't you know about them, or don't you know this, the terrible things that they've done, the terrible people that they are, the way they have hurt me deeply, or what they've done to me or to my family. I get it. I get it. I'm not saying it's easy. God doesn't say that it's easy. What does He say? Love them anyway. Love them doesn't mean you have to like them. Some of you are excited about that. Love doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for their sins. 
Love doesn't mean that you... have a perfect relationship with them. But love means that you seek their welfare. That you want what is best for them, even if they don't think what you think is what is best for them. We've got to love everyone. Your next door neighbor that you don't get along with, you've got to love them. The people in our world who do wicked and evil and terrible things, We've got to love them, not because it's easy or it's convenient or it's what we want, but because God loves them and God expects us to take on his divine nature, to love like he loves. So maybe sanctification is not so much that I, that I, I narrow it down to this is exactly how I love or who I love or where I love or when I love, but the idea that I'm sanctifying that I love everyone. And I know, I know that's not easy. I know there's wickedness and evil. I know there's trial and tribulation that sometimes people cause us. But God loved us sacrificially while we were weak, ungodly sinners, and he called us his enemies. And he loved us anyway. What does that look like practically? Let me give you two examples and we'll almost be done. First of all, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, you know what the story of the Good Samaritan is. There's those religious people who see this guy who's been beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And these religious people, they say, for whatever reasons they have, maybe they have good reasons, but the point of the story is their reasons aren't good enough. Whatever reasons they have, they don't do anything to care for this person who is their neighbor. And the point of the whole story of the Good Samaritan is love your neighbor as yourself. And the question is, well, who's my neighbor? Well, those people said, this guy's not my neighbor. I don't care enough about him to do anything. And then the Samaritan, who during the time they would have been considered not the best of people, certainly not the most religious, not the, not the people who really followed God the way they should have followed God. But this person helps and helps big time. He cleans him up. This guy who's probably, most of his clothes are probably gone. Maybe all of his clothes are gone. He's got bound, you know, sores all over his body. And this guy bandages him up and takes him to a hotel of their day and takes care of him. And, and then when he has to leave, he says, hey, you take care of him. And when I get back, if it, co- if it costs more than what I spent, then I'll, I'll give him more. I mean, he, he loves this guy. And the question at the end of the story of the Good Samaritan is who proved to be a neighbor to this man who was beaten? And it was the Samaritan. So, so, so love people like that. Here's a simple way to remember that that I hope that you'll carry with you. Sometimes we've got to go out of our way to be in the way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Early on, the, the church Christians were called the way. We think about that narrow way that we're supposed to follow rather than the broad path. Sometimes we've got to go out of our way to be in the way, to be who God wants us to be. We, we will be inconvenienced. We'll be taken advantage of. We will be underappreciated or perhaps unappreciated. Do it anyway. And then you think about what Jesus says that we have come to know as uh, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, That's the way that we need to, to love people and to care about people and to reach out to people around us. As odd as it is, the topic of love is not the easiest topic. And sometimes you can... You can think about love and you say, that should be easy. You know, just, just love. Every-. That's what the world says, right? You know, love, love everybody. And what that means is you do whatever you want to do because I love you. 
Well, that's not what love is. That's not what godly love is. Godly love is, I want what is best for you. I desperately want you to be in the best situation that you can. I think even that's the idea. You know, we think of agape love, those, those four Greek words for, for love, and we think of agape love as this unconditional love. And that is a good definition and understanding of agape love, but really another better, different understanding of agape love is I'm seeking your best welfare. I want what is best for you. And sometimes that means that I've got to confront you about things that I think you're doing that I don't think are good. Sometimes that means that even if, if I love you, I've got to confront you about things that I don't think that you're, you're living the right way. Love, love is not easy. And when we think about sanctifying our love for God, certainly we can say, I need to love God more than anything else. But it also means I've got to love everyone, and it also means I've got to love you with your flaws and your faults. Sanctifying our love for everyone. Jesus did it by sacrificially loving the weak, ungodly sinners that make up his enemies. And he asked you to do the very same thing. It wasn't easy for God to do it. It won't be easy for you to do it. But that's our goal. Now, I've said a lot a few times uh, this morning that if you're not a Christian, these things aren't true for you. Well, that's the whole thing about Jesus, right? He died for you so that you could live for him. He died for you so that you could be saved from your sins. I want to tell you, we don't always do this, but I want to tell you this morning, what does the Bible tell you that we need to do in order to, to become a Christian? Uh, you can look at the uh, chapter in Romans. Again, Romans chapter 10 tells us in one place just about everything that we need to do. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, it tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God, hearing about Jesus. And remember, go back to Romans chapter 5, where we were reading earlier, that faith is our introduction to this grace in which we stand. I can't stand on me. I can't stand on your abilities. I can't stand on what you think about me. I can't stand on my achievements, but I stand in grace. And the way I get there is through faith, and faith comes from hearing about Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, and rose again. If you believe that... If you believe that he's the resurrected son of God, then you can be saved from your sins. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you will confess him as your Lord. And I I want us to all understand, Christians and non-Christian alike, what is this idea of confession? We've we've ran over that a, a lot in our lives probably. But this confession is not me saying, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus. It's confessing that Jesus is the Lord of my life, of the Lord of of all things. He is the Lord of all things, whether he's the Lord of your life or not. But this confession is, I have accepted him, and I'm claiming him as the Lord in my life. I'm going to do the things he wants me to do. Again, that's Romans 10, 9 and 10. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, it says, Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring that all people everywhere should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world. And he's furnished the man, Jesus Christ, in order to do that. He's overlooked some times of ignorance. Maybe that's from a a timeline from, from all of creation, but maybe it's a timeline in your life. He's overlooked some times of ignorance in your life. You didn't know any better. But now maybe you know better. And you're still choosing to do the wrong thing. He's calling you to repent. And repentance is simply turning away from doing things according to your own wisdom and turning to doing things God's way in his wisdom, doing the things that he wants you to do. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus 
today. And if you do want to be a follower of Jesus today, then the next thing you do is simple and easy. After you've made up your mind because you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've confessed him with your mouth, and now you want to confess him with your life as your Lord, then you submit to baptism. Not because there's anything special about the water, but because the Lord of your life says, go and teach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Love. We love because he first loved us. Christian, here's your challenge today. Love people. Love the people that you love and like. Love the people that you don't like so much. Love the people you've got everything in common with and love the people you have nothing in common with. Love your friends and love your enemies. This morning, if you're not a Christian, God loved you enough to make a way possible for you to be saved from your sin. If you want to know more about that, we'd love to study with you about that. If you're ready today to put on Christ in baptism, wash all of your sins away because Jesus is the Lord of your life and you haven't done that yet, then now is the time to do it. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.